Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. All of morale's an interesting one. Um, but I think people are... Is that engineers or product managers or both? Probably both. Yeah. Yeah, I think especially some of the teams that we're working on, hey, I'm going to go fill up my coffee, but um, the teams that were working on the Amazon stuff and then they shifted right into Walmart. It's just been, it's been a lot. It's been a long couple of months for them. Just, we need to get them a win because we didn't actually get to ship anything for Amazon. So, yeah, I think just need to get phase one of Walmart out the door and in a good place and celebrate that and make people feel really good about the stuff they're working on. What do you think are some of the key contributors to, I mean, obviously we have projects that don't go well, but are you think, yeah, do you think it's a, a cyclical thing or do you feel like it's a, you know, teams are going to have bad, you know, some down morale just as part of the course of the year. Or do you think it's just a, something that we've. I think it's a combination of factors. I think it is doing back-to-back, potentially back-to-back-to-back large projects. So you don't see kind of, you don't have the mix of small things and big things. So you don't actually see, you don't actually see any smaller wins get across when you're just cranking on some of this bigger stuff. And when some of that bigger stuff doesn't land, that's, it's hard especially when you may not have been super invested in the bigger stuff to begin with. I think everyone was always kind of nervous about Amazon and Blink and MFA and all that. Um, So I think there's some of that. I think there's the urgency and pacing of um, some of these bigger projects. I think, you know, I keep coming back to phase one since that's top of mind, but like that's been a time crunch the whole time and it's been go, go, go. Um, so just taking a moment to breathe, I think is, is good. So we'll definitely want to do that at the end of the project. Um, yeah. And I think just being publicly valued and appreciated and recognized, probably need to do a little bit more of that of various teams. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious, like what your thought is. So one of the, like, how do you set up that balance, right? I mean, I mean, we talk about small projects, big projects. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you can take time to slow down, but slow down leads to decrease in productivity. Decrease in productivity yeah. leads to other things, right? Then you have to inevitably speed back up. 
how do you how do you go about finding the balance between small and big or just in general fast and slow small and big yeah i think you just got to recognize where the teams are at i think um there's i don't think there's a particular playbook or framework that you can apply to this sort of thing because it's it's people it's how people are feeling it's their motivation and that people are complicated um but i think just kind of as a rule of thumb i mean it's kind of we talk about portfolio product management quite a bit um and making sure that you have a balanced set of investments that you're working on in any given time um and you want to to make sure that they're not all lined up exactly in parallel. So you kind of stagger them a little bit. So I think there is an element of planning. Yes. For strategy. Yes. For impact. But I think probably one of the things that is often underappreciated in product management prioritization is planning for team morale and, and team ability and thinking about potentially ramping your projects in size and complexity and just gauging and understanding kind of what that is going to, what kind of impact that's going to have on the team. And then strategically as a product manager, you want to come and say, okay, we're going to go knock out some really easy stuff and build a little bit of positive momentum. And then we'll bite off something a little bit meatier, a little bit bigger and a little bit more complex. You know, it's funny you say that because even as part of the, the interview process that we have right in the prioritization exercise, that's actually one of those hidden gotchas is that there's a team morale point in mm-hmm. one of the, uh, one of the exercises mm-hmm. that I added in for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, it's not a, it's not a machine. It's a group of people working on stuff. And it, I mean, you know, people talk about product managers in this way all the time, but you're kind of managing other people without being their manager. And a big factor of that is the kind of work that gets put on the plate and how that work is approached um, and how product managers lead through that process. Well, it seems like that's uh, it can kind of be easier, difficult sometimes depending on the squad too, right? You know, we've oh, had totally. that, that challenge, yeah. particularly with our platform side. Sure. Yeah. And every squad's different. Every squad is motivated by different things. Every squad has different ways of working. I think one thing that I've appreciated about Ibotta is there's still a lot of autonomy and latitude given to PMs and EMs to figure, figure out their teams. Like there's no mandated, we're all going to do two week sprints and you're going to follow these ceremonies on this schedule. And you're going to write stories in this way and apply these tags and Jira. Like there's of course a little bit of that because you need some semblance of standardization, but it's not hard and fast prescribed methodology, methodology and bureaucracy. So, well, I mean, that's also quarter of our philosophy is that the team should define a lot of that, like define what, yeah, which I, which I've always appreciated. And I feel like that's one of the good talking points too, when we're doing interviews and talking about like, Hey, why come here? And one of the reasons I always find myself using is like, you have a high level of freedom, you know? Yeah. You can justify your roadmap, how you want to justify it. And as long as it's backed up and if team morale is one of those things that you need to throw, you need to change up a little bit for, we're all going to take that and be like, yeah, that sounds good. And if you just want to adjust your schedules or do retros every three weeks or do them every week or yeah, we're good with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess 
question for you. How, how have you looked at your product roadmap through the lens of team morale? I try to, I, th- I think there's two parts. The first is like having really strong tech lead ownership to the point where like the product roadmap is really owned by the team and it doesn't feel like it's something that just one individual is driving. So mm-hmm. when the team has an idea for an initiative or for a series of improvements, I really try to actually let the reins go off a little bit and kind of just yeah. put a little guideline in. We did a one of the most successful initiatives I think we had was we called it Make Bex a Little Less Annoying. And <laughs> which, you know, we had gotten some feedback from Savers that we, you know, that the thing was popping up too much and that there's some behavioral things. And so I literally just put it out to the team and said, hey, here's here's the ask. Let's make the product a little less annoying. How do we do that? And everybody jumped in, worked with our designer, worked on things they thought was important to them. And that initiative was not only very impactful, but really good for team morale. Everybody felt really excited by it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the gold standard, right? Where you come in and say, here's the mission. Let's go figure it out. Let's go figure it out together. Yeah. And I think, the more the, the more that you can do that, the more that we can do that, I think totally agree. Like that just gives ownership and autonomy and all the rest of that to the team. I guess the, the, the logical next question though becomes what happens when you don't really have that freedom? Let's say you have um, a CEO come in and say, Bex or the browser extension needs to do X, Y, Z. Like how do you, how do you kind of work in some of those directives and balance it with this kind of team team autonomy approach you just we're just talking about? Um, you know, I don't think it changes all that much. I think the an ask is an ask, and sometimes it can actually be empowering when you can put, you know, frankly, if it's your CEO of the company right in front of people and say, "Hey, we have this strategic ask." You know, you guide it in, you lean into that process, and you get other people to do so as well. I think, you know, and if you kind of frame it in a way where it's not happening all the time, but it's happening, you know, every once in a while, but, you know, we've had some of those projects. And once again, like people feel high degrees of ownership when you, I think when it's set up well, but if it's just like constant pounding of requests and the PM's not really doing their job of filtering, like Mm -hmm. the PM's job before the CEO hits to the team should be, Hey, you know, okay, well, here's the other things we got on our plate, but we definitely need to slot that one in. And here, we're going to do that. And like you're filtering out 80% of those requests and turning them into something actionable to the point where like, okay, by the time it hits the team, it's already been at least pre-fetted, like worked through a little bit and people can get excited about the fact that like, you know, their company leader is coming to them with a unique problem to solve. Yeah. But yeah doesn't work all the time. That's for sure. (laughs) It doesn't. (laughs) What are some of the, what are some of the indicators that you've seen in the past of, of teams experiencing low morale? Um, they tell you, (laughs) that's uh, probably the most obvious one, but I, I guess, how do they tell you? They don't come to you and say, my morale is low, Lou, fix it. Uh, actually, I mean, sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. I got, uh, I was, I spent like two weeks, like heads down on doing some finance stuff. And I had uh, an engineer come to me and say, well, you've been a little bit of a distant father to us recently. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I was like, yeah, uh, true. <laughs> right. Like, and uh, my engineering manager too, like when, when we, we try to take this hyper proactive approach that when we hear like something like, Hey, the team is concerned about the quality of the code base. Like that, that's another yeah. indicator. Mm-hmm. That's usually our thing is like, we don't sit on that. We try to be like hyper proactive so that yeah, if the team's concerned about the quality of code base, um, we'll do a drill and we'll say, Hey, what things could we do to improve the quality of the code base? How can we get those stories on the board? And we just yeah. get them on the board. Um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I would be curious to know, it'd be an interesting straw poll to just survey a bunch of other product managers and be like, how often do you hear this? Or have you ever heard this before? Because my guess would be that that is not an uncommon thing for engineers to say when they're feeling a little bit overwhelmed. The, like, uh, the, as, part, the part about the code base. Yeah. Like yeah. I've heard it before. And t- to your point, like that's a signal of like, all right, we need to kind of take a breath for a hot minute and take a step back and look at what we're working with here. But that, that often is code for me for kind of a dissatisfaction or a little bit of a, a low morale or just tired, like generally tired. Like, yeah. oh man, I've been asked to like do a bunch of stuff and make some decisions I may not be comfortable with. Yep. Oftentimes too, the other thing that I've noticed is like, I'll, I'll get people say like, yeah, we've got a lot of priorities right now. And usually what happens is yeah. here, here's usually when I see that is when you like get to the end of a few projects and you've got those lingering one or two stories mm-hmm. that like inevitably show up and you're kind of like, all right, well, we need to get the next initiative ready to roll because otherwise, you know, we're going to empty some stuff out of the backlog and we're not going to be productive. So what I've noticed is like, if you get through a period of time where you've built a handful of features, those lingering stories um, end up meaning that like one person, maybe the tech lead for that initiative ends up just doing them. And then they kind of feel fragmented from everybody Hmm. else. Interesting. So I actually try to make it a point where like, when when I see that happening, I try to say like, okay, like let's take a pause. We're not going to add any new initiatives yet we're going to work through cleaning out the board and then we'll add one new initiative. And once that gets going and we feel like that's moving toward a completion point, then we can talk about adding another one. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I I like that a lot. Um, Kind of by extension from that, I think product managers, we probably talk about this a lot on, on this podcast around kind of being inclusive of engineering in the discovery process um, and giving them autonomy in the discovery process, but maybe like, are there, are there elements further downstream, say in delivery or testing or launch or whatever the case may be? Like, how, how do you, how have you in the past kind of enabled or persisted that autonomy and that ownership throughout the entire life cycle? Yeah. I'm, I don't know if I just got lucky. Uh, that might be part of it, at least currently. Yeah. Um, we really kind of treat that at least on our squad, like a tech lead piece to oversee the delivery of the product. Mm -hmm. And so usually where I kind of go is like during the planning process and like the product brief process, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Yeah. And then really trying to, to get hands off. Yeah. Even to the point where it means even like some of the minor product decisions, like, Oh, should the widget be gray or white? You know, what do you guys think? You know, yeah. why don't you talk with Cole, our designer, and, you know, y'all come up with a solution. Sounds good. Yeah. 
Like, I think the more hands-off you can be in that process. And then as it gets closer to delivery, like I join in for like our bug bashes and, you know, usually we'll kind of say like, Hey, yeah, okay. This looks pretty good. Like let's fire it up or like, let's go for rollout. But I've actually been surprised that our engineers have like a high degree of ownership in they're like, Hey, I'm going to roll this out to 10%. And then the next day we'll be like, okay, I didn't see any issues. Like they're already actively monitoring it. And I'm already in four meetings that day. And they're like, okay, cool. Hey Lou, I'm going to boost it up to 50. Sound good. All right, cool. And it just kind of becomes that progressive, like encourage the team to own it to end to end delivery. And the more that you trust their skills, it feels like the more they respond positively. Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things that I like to think about really being a core bullet point on the job description for a product manager is build the right thing. Like you are responsible for building the right thing. So I think we talk about that a lot in the discovery process and like all the discovery techniques and all of the kind of upfront research and validation, all of, all of those things. But how do you continue to do that in the, in the delivery process? And I think it's a lot of what you're talking about where it's just how do you bring engineers closer to customers or encourage an environment where they feel empowered to do that themselves, to your point, where they're getting that feedback throughout the delivery, throughout the development process, um, whether that's launching to 10% and getting feedback and adjusting, or whether that's doing even a hallway test with people down, down the hallway of like, does this design make sense to you? No. Do you like the white widget or the gray widget? You can't see the white widget. Okay, cool. We'll go with gray. Like, like just being that facilitator, I think is also just as critical as a lot of the upfront work that PMs do. I think it's kind of one of those points and I'm sure you'd probably agree with this as well, but sometimes a good PM, it's not measured by exactly what you do, but also the things that you don't do. Mm, And tell me more. (laughs) Well, in this case, right? Like an overly controlling PM could be a type of person who has to have their say with absolutely everything, right? Yeah. Every story needs my approval. Everything has to get signed off. I've got to be the one to move them from this to that in our Kanban board. Right. Which ultimately does two things. One. Yeah. The PM is going to have a lot of knowledge of the stories. That's great. Mm -hmm. But what it does do is it sets you up as this sole blocking point. Like unless it has my stamp of approval, but sometimes other people have a better knowledge of that stamp of approval. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And so recognizing that and getting, uh, we, I always use the additive, right? Having the right people in the right seat on the bus, you know, it was kind of something a executive coach told me a while ago, right? Your team is not just about like, you know, having the right people, but it's also putting them in the right positions and making sure they're used to their fullest capacity. So, you know, I kind of feel like that's the thing is like, a good PM should be focused on the things that they can really do that are going to drive mission and vision forward. And they should be trying to reduce their overhead on the things that are not doing that. Yeah. I mean, I think we keep coming back to this same idea that like really excellent product managers are the ones who are able to articulate the mission, articulate the problem and paint a really, really clear picture for the rest of the team. Yeah. And and then just get out of the way and let yeah. them do their thing and make sure that that they're aligned with market pain points. They're getting customer feedback on a regular basis throughout the delivery process. So yeah, you come back and you are building the right thing. Yep. 
And I think that also like, yeah, being open to everybody else's ideas too, is like the critical part. You know, we had uh, one of these initiatives we just kicked off recently and um, the tech lead kind of came back and said, Hey, like this would be great, but I'm worried about visibility of this bonus. And if we don't like surface it, how are they really going to know if we don't like make it something and we're like, Oh yeah, we probably should have thought of that. Let's sit down with the designer and like, think about what that looks like. And yeah, she led through the process and said like, Hey, what about putting it here, here? And we could build it as this container widget for something else in the future too. And we're like, nice. Let's go with that. And then the PM's question for that is like, okay, well, how much extra scope does that add? Sure. Is that adding adding 20%, 50%, 100% onto the scope? Mm-hmm. And as the PM, like your job is sometimes to say, okay, you know, I love those ideas. Can we dial it back into something smaller to get it quickly launchable? Or you might go, you know what? You actually landed on a better solution. Like let's, yeah. let's roll with that. And that's really where your job is to be. Yeah. Yep. Well, I know we're coming up on the end of our coffees and I'm seeing the bottom of my mug. Um, <laughs> what, what advice would you give to PMs who maybe are struggling to connect with their engineering team or find that they are hearing quite often from their teams that their engineers are worried about the code base or (laughs) other signals that we mentioned earlier in our conversation about potentially low morale. The first thing is encourage them to, if, if we're seeing an issue that's cropped up and it's like a bigger issue, right? Like it's a code base issue or, and that really is signaling like, Hey, we need to spend some time and do some cleanup as a PM block that on your, initiative roadmap put it on there Mm -hmm. and evangelize it like you would evangelize anything else tell your stakeholders hey i'm sorry but other initiatives are going to get pushed for two weeks while we do some critical code cleanup and if they're like wait why is that happening like you got to stand up and be like hey because we can't have a a poor quality product and our team needs some time to catch up on this sorry yeah you know I think that's the way for it. What's uh, what's some advice you would give? I think what I would think about is give more opportunities than you think to your team to make decisions. Yeah. Short On any succinct. number of factors. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Excellent. Well, it looks like we've finished our coffee. So please like, subscribe, rate us, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Now go level up.